Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. Here we are into a new year, 2021. And as this new year comes, we often take time to think of things that we'd like to see happen in the coming months. Some people set resolutions, some people goal planning, and others it's more of just a, a wish list. Uh, my wife, Jerry, and I, we often talk about the future towards the beginning of the year and um, make some plans, uh, usually something around our health goals, just things we'd like to see happen there. Uh, oftentimes we'll talk about the house, any updates or changes we'd like to make around the home in terms of uh, physical remodeling or changes. But one area that we really enjoy is uh, related to travel and what types of trips. Uh, we'll, we'll ask this question, where do you want to travel this year? And for us, it's those little breaks or getaways that refresh us and it gives us memories to reflect back on uh, over the coming months or years. And, um, you know, every year what we try to do is we will look for some place in the U.S. Sometimes it's local. Uh, this last year, 2020, we went to Zion National Park, a real special time there. And so each year we look for somewhere in the U.S. and just really, you know, be able to enjoy this beautiful land that we have here. Every five years, uh, we like to try to travel somewhere overseas and see this beautiful world that God has created and uh, see something that's, that's happening there. And it's really, <clears throat> excuse me, it's really a fun time because it gives us something to dream about, something to plan, and we discover something new about uh, where we're going. And so it's kind of a, a learning process also. So, you know, that preparation, it really isn't a small thing. It, it, there's a lot that ha goes into that. Uh, usually involves reservations anywhere six to nine months in advance so that when we arrive, we have a place to stay. That's an important part of it. Uh, if it's overseas, we have to plan well in advance, sometimes a year, year and a half, because we're saving money. Uh, we also have to make plane reservations. Uh, we might have to get tickets for museums. Um, we might learn some phrases in the language to where it is that we're going to. And then we have to pack some clothes that match the climate as well. And so all of this preparation, it just kind of helps us when the day comes to experience what it is that we're looking forward to. Because if we don't do the preparation, we probably, and I wouldn't say probably, we aren't going to experience what we had envisioned or hoped for early on when we were talking about it. Now, as much as I enjoy sharing my travel experiences or plans with you, uh, this actually points to something more significant, I think, and it relates to Galatians chapter six, and we'll get there in, in just a moment. But there's a preparation that the followers of Jesus Christ have in their lives and that we should be doing to engage or to participate in the journey that God has for us. It's a preparation that allows you and I to take part in what God is doing, whether it's five months from now, nine months from now, or even five years from now, similar to the preparation that I talked about in my travels and, and Jerry's and my travels, God is wanting to prepare you for what's coming, what work he's doing, what things he's going to be involved in, and he's inviting you to take part. My point in, in highlighting this is that it's a cooperative thing. It's something that you and I, if you're a follower of Christ, you have to prepare yourself for. Otherwise, when the time comes, we just won't be ready. 
we won't be at the place that we need to be to be able to fully participate and be ready for what happens. It will seem as more of an intrusion into our lives instead of a work of God in which we get to participate in. So his desire is to position you to be ready for what he's doing in the future. He's laying out good works. He's laying out different opportunities for you to learn from and to grow from. But it's participatory. It's, it, it's you engaging with, me partnering with God in these preparation moments. So if I'm going to take advantage of what happens six months from now, I need to be preparing myself in this moment so that six months from now I'm ready to engage in that moment. Well, in this message, I'm going to focus on what type of preparation, what type of faith it takes in order to be ready and to remain and have a strong faith and ready for what it is that God's doing in the time that's coming. As God reveals your destination, as he reveals what he has for you, he wants you to be ready. He's preparing you. You may not know exactly what it looks like, but he can at least reveal to you places where you need to prepare so that you're ready for what it is that he has for you, whether that's, again, three months, six months, two years from now. So uh, I'm going to take some time. We're going to pray. Uh, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 6. If you want to turn there in your own book or app, and we'll have the words uh, show up on the screen as well. And then at the end of this message, we're going to pause and take some time for communion together. So if you need to also just pause and get elements for that, uh, you can take some time to, to do that as well. So let's pray as we prepare to look at God's word. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come before you and to open the scriptures and just recognize that we have a part in what it is that you're doing, that it's not just you acting and then we just respond somehow out of wherever we happen to be at the moment. You're actually preparing us for the journey that we're about to take. And so we may have plans for health or trips or jobs or family, whatever it might be. But Lord, you have plans for our faith. You have plans for us to become the people that you're calling us to become. Plans for me or the, the, the people who are listening today. You have plans for them for who you want, that are wanting them to become. And so Lord, help us to be participants in that. Help us to engage in that and to prepare ourselves to be the right type of people through which you can bring your kingdom. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Galatians chapter 6, we're going to actually read through the whole chapter. It's not a long one. It's 18 verses, but there's so much there. Obviously, we won't cover every part of it, but I do want to uh, highlight a couple things out of it that are going to let us see what helps us be strong in our faith so that we're prepared for what it is that God wants to do in the coming months, weeks, years, uh, as we look to him. So Galatians 6, verses 1 through 18. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. 
Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong in the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand? Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Now, as I mentioned, there's certainly more here than what we can cover in our brief few minutes together, but it's important to put what I'm saying in context. So that's why I wanted to read the whole chapter and not just extrapolate a couple uh, verses out of it. There's, there's a whole picture here that we need to see before we address a couple of individual verses. Uh, in this writing, the Apostle Paul is once again addressing divisions within the church. This is an ongoing issue as we go through the New Testament church. I, maybe you've heard it before. People say, I wish we were more like a New Testament church. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are a New, New Testament church. <laughs> there's divisions among us. There's difficulties that we struggle with. Uh, and, and there's hardships that we face. This, this is what a New Testament church looks like. It's not all just listening to scripture and everybody singing kumbaya and getting along. So this is Paul once again. He's dealing with the division of the church, and it's this reoccurring theme. It's divisions between Jews and non-Jews, or Gentiles. Uh, Christians with Jewish heritage were saying that circumcision still needed to be uh, practiced because followers of Christ needed to be marked or identified as belonging to God's family. And so remember that for the early church, Christianity was not a break-off religion, its own religion. It was the fulfillment, they clearly viewed it as the fulfillment of Judaism, Christ as the Messiah. So being a Christian meant you were one who practiced Judaism and then found Christ. And so that's where the division came, that the, the Jewish followers said, well, if we're still practicing Judaism, then everybody needs to be circumcised. And so those who were non-Jews said, but we've accomplished, we found everything in Christ. So or circumcision really doesn't mean anything in all the rites and festivals. Uh, Christ is the fulfillment of all of that, and we have that in Christ. And so the Jewish uh, followers of Jesus 
viewed it still not only as relevant, but many contended that these practices, specifically circumcision, was necessary. And if they had their way, even now, if it continued forward, every Christian body would be what we now call a messianic congregation or messianic fellowship that practices Judaism as it relates to Christ. But because of Paul's teachings and because of the way that he addressed it in the early church, uh, it, it helped there to be, make room for both. Those who practiced Judaism and saw Christ as the fulfillment uh, could still continue those practices and seeing Christ as the fulfillment in those practices. But non-Jews like myself, like many of you and throughout the world, could practice following Christ without first becoming Jewish and practicing Jewish customs and circumcision and all of those practices before or as a fulfillment of following Jesus. We're able to follow Christ as Gentiles and recognize he is the fulfillment of that. So in contrast to the Judaizers, as they were referred to in the early church, which is to make new followers of Jesus, also Jewish followers, uh, Juda Judaism, uh, practicing Juda Judaism, uh, Paul says your spirituality in Christ is not measured by the marks on your flesh that compare you to another person. So this was part of the division, is that the Jewish followers of Christ wanted the non-Jews to make sure that they had the marks in their flesh that identified them as followers of God. But Paul says, listen, spirituality is marked, not marked in your flesh, it's marked by what's happening in the spirit and shows itself outwardly through your works. In fact, Paul says that using outward marks may actually indicate a weaker faith. And he's pointing this out in this particular portion of Galatians chapter six. He's making the, making the mark that the Jewish followers of Christ in the church in Galatia were actually weak in their faith, even though they were trying to boast about how much faith they had and putting it on display through their circumcision or their following of particular Jewish rituals or rites. But Paul says, listen, using these outward marks, using markers or indicators that are on our flesh and outward on display for other people actually may indicate and likely indicate a weaker faith than those who don't have those marks on them. And here's why. Let me highlight a couple of these reasons that the Apostle Paul points out in this portion of scripture. The characteristics of weak faith, the first one is that it compares itself to others. Verses three through five. He says, if anyone thinks they're something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Listen, Paul is saying some people put the marks on the flesh as a comparison, as a spiritual comparison of saying, well, I've elevated myself to the next step, to the next devotion to Christ because, see, I've actually done this act of circumcision in this case. And so Paul says, listen, comparisons are ridiculous. He says that's actually a weak faith when you put yourself out there and you're starting to look at other people and measure yourself not by what's the character that you possess and using Christ and the Holy Spirit and the scriptures as your measuring stick. He said, that's what it should be. But people of weak faith use other people to measure how spiritual they are. And Paul says, that's a problem. He says, that's, that's a real 
mark of a weak faith because we tend to deceive ourselves by comparing ourselves to other people. We think we're something when really we're not. And so Paul says, listen, you know you're something if you mark yourself according to what's happening inside of you, if you use the Holy Spirit, the scriptures, if you need Jesus Christ as your standard and not other people. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Each one should carry their own load. Not comparing my load to somebody else's, but I should carry, in other words, we use the term carry your own weight. Uh, if, you're, if you're following Christ, your comparison isn't to others, it's are you carrying your own weight of what uh, you've been asked to carry, your own cross. The other thing that Paul says that is a characteristic of weak faith is in verses 7 and 8, that it boasts in outward actions. So not only does it compare itself to others, that's weak, but then he says boasting in outward actions is also weak. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And so in this, this portion, Paul is saying, listen, if you're sowing into this flesh, if you're investing to put on display how spiritual you are, spiritual you are in your flesh, Paul says, listen, this, this body is going to go back to the ground. It's, it's perishable. What's going to be raised is the imperishable. And so these things, these, these ways that we put on display who we are, these identity markers that sow to the flesh, that make up an identity or persona in the flesh, Paul says that, that doesn't count for anything, really. That's, that's actually going to reap death in the end. It's, it's going to, you, you sow to the flesh, uh, he says, a man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. So that's all going away. There, there's only three things that are eternal. God, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, his word, and people. Everything else is going to be destroyed. Everything else is wasting away. So these things are eternal. And so Paul says, listen, don't be deceived. Don't don't invest in making yourself look good before others and sowing to the flesh and pleasing yourself and your own spirituality and then miss out on the fact that you actually need to be sowing to the Spirit and pleasing the Spirit of God. And sometimes pleasing the Spirit of God oftentimes means denying yourself and doing what uh, doesn't show up on the outward, but it actually shows up more in what's happening in your, in your heart. Thirdly, characteristics of a weak faith is these people are motivated by acceptance, verse 12. So those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. So let's, let's kind of go back. Uh, first of all, weak faith compares itself to others. So I look at other people instead of using Christ and the word of God as my marker. It boasts in outward actions. It says, look, look at me, look at you know, what you can see. This, this is my spirituality. Instead of saying, this is what's happening inside of me and allowing sowing to the spirit, 
It sows just in outward actions to put on display for others. And then thirdly, it's this motivated by acceptance. And, and so in verse 12, Paul's saying, listen, these people who want you to be circumcised, here's their motivation. They don't even fulfill the law themselves. They're not even doing the right things themselves. They're, they're failing in accomplishing, obeying the law. But the reason that they did it is so that they can show to others that they are following the ways of Judaism and it saves them from any persecution in identifying with Christ. Paul says they don't, they don't have good motives. They're not looking out for you. They're actually just afraid of persecution or hardship for following Jesus. They're afraid of what others are going to say. And so what they want to do is put on display and they want you to be like them so that they're not in the minority and so that they, they can feel good about their choices and they don't get persecuted for following Jesus Christ. So remember, those who were in the church and they were being accepted because they were following the, the Jewish practices, Paul says the reason they're not convinced that it's the right way either. They just don't want to have to face the difficulties from other Jewish followers so they just cave in, in other words, and give into it so that they don't have to look like they're not doing the right thing. It's not a conviction of their heart. It's a conviction of acceptance. They just want to be accepted. So these are characteristics of a weak faith, Paul says. And, and while we may not have this division of Jew versus Gentile, we do have similar battles in the church today between those who view themselves as more maybe mature, uh, spiritually versus those who are in their eyes immature. And the reason that some people set themselves up as, you know, the, the more mature aren't necessarily the reasons that they should view themselves this way. They view themselves as more mature because of these same reasons. They're comparing themselves to others around them. Because in relationship to others, they say, well, I'm doing better in my actions. I'm doing I've been doing this longer, in other words, than some of these people, and so I'm doing good. And, and again, Paul says that's, that's a weak faith that uses comparison to other people. Carry your own, own weight, Paul says. Uh, don't, do, you need to reflect on the word and in the spirit and not just by comparison. Uh, we have people in the church today who often boast about their outward actions. Their outward actions, yes, actions matter. We are supposed to bear fruit for Jesus Christ. So that, that's definitely something we're supposed to do is have outward actions of an inward faith. However, these people boast in their outward actions as proof of their faith. Those who follow Christ, there's, there's nobody who is devoted to Jesus who's boasting about all they do. They just, it, it just not, doesn't happen. If you see somebody boasting about how good they're doing and all these actions that they're doing and they're capturing it on social media and taking pictures and making sure everybody sees, it's weak. It's weak. I don't care if they're on TV. I don't care, you know, it's that, that's not what it's about is, is boasting. They're, they're looking for this pat on the back. So yes, we should have outward actions, but those outward actions is just a humble reflection of what the Spirit's work is within us. And so instead of sowing to please the flesh and accomplish my own purposes through my works, I'm sowing to the Spirit. And I'm yes, I'm doing works that have set, aside, set apart for me in Christ to do, but they're to the glory of God, not to my own, my own glory. 
And then we have those who, it's not Jew or Gentile, but those who motivated by acceptance. Uh, those who, in, weak in faith, want to impress people by means of what they're doing and their devotion. And so they're compelling others. You need to do the same thing. You need to follow Jesus this way. You need to be involved with this. Why? Because it validates their actions and they feel more accepted and what they're doing is the right thing. Paul says all of this stuff, all this stuff is, is, doesn't prepare you for God's work. All of this is self-centric. It points people back to me. It points people back to comparisons within the body. It doesn't actually point to a work of the Spirit within us. Now, let me finish with this kind of contrast here. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. If you're going to prepare yourself for what God is going to do, then you need to really prepare the soil. You need to sow to the Spirit and, and not into the works of the flesh. And so this is uh, these three things are characteristics of a strong faith in comparison to what I pointed just before in, about a weak faith. He says, test your own actions and carry your own weight. So I mentioned this before. When you stand before Christ, he's not going to ask you how my actions, Pastor Andy's actions, helped you grow or if I fed you well enough. Those are questions he's going to ask me. I'm going to stand before Christ someday and I'm going to give an account for the ways that I taught, the ways that I led as a pastor, the, the responsibilities that I had. But I promise you this, that when you or others that you know stand before Christ, he's not going to ask you about me. He's going to ask you about you, that you stand before Christ. Each of us individually stands before Christ and he's going to say, did you carry your own weight? He's not going to say, did this person lead you astray? Or did this person, uh, you know, did they make it hard for you to follow me? No, nope, all of that's off the table. We oftentimes, I just say we, the church, we hear this type of talk in the church. And I think from God's perspective, from a scriptural perspective, it's nonsense. Uh, we're not getting fed or I'm not getting this. Yes, it's important to go to be in fellowship where you're growing. But again, when you and I stand before Christ, he's not going to say, did so-and-so feed you well enough? He's going to say, did you feed yourself and you follow me, prepare yourself for the works that I had for you? You carry your own weight. Wherever you're at in your walk with Christ, you carry your own weight. You test your own actions. You reflect on yourself. Am I growing? Am I stuck? Am I in the same place I was five years ago? Am I in the same place I was five months ago? Am I changing? Is the Holy Spirit at work within me? Because that's a strong faith. A strong faith doesn't put responsibility for myself on somebody else to make me or compel me to grow and be strong. I take responsibility for myself. The second thing, characteristics of strong faith, it says, I, I do good works for all, especially my brothers and sisters in Christ. That I do good works. I don't grow weary in doing good. And the difference between this and the people of weak faith, people of weak faith, remember, they put it on display for others to see, to pat them on the back and be validated. All of their works go on display so they can feel good about themselves. In contrast, Paul says, listen, do good to all. Like, don't, don't wait till somebody's watching. Just do good. Whenever you have opportunity, do good for all. And he says, he qualifies it too, or magnifies it. He says, especially for brothers and sisters in Christ. 
especially for your brothers and sisters. This is family. He says, so watch out for them. Just, just be mindful of what you can do for them. So this is characteristic of strong faith. Be motivated to, to watch out for one another and just do good. Just do good. Not because it looks good, not because it gains you acceptance, but because the Spirit is at work and you're sowing to the Spirit continually those good works. And then lastly, make sure that if you're going to have a strong faith, your boast is in that God showed you mercy in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's, that's what you boast about. That's what Paul says he boasts about. Listen, he's, Paul, in other places in his writing, he says, I could, I could just make a list, like, you know, from our comparison, you know, I'm, I, I studied at Harvard, you know, and I uh, was wealthy, and I came from the right family, and I had all the right learning, and uh, I followed all the right practice. You know, Paul makes this whole list in Philippians and says he's got all these qualifications. He's from all these, the right background. He says, listen, it's rubbish. It doesn't count. The only thing that counts is faith in Christ. The only thing that counts is who I am in Jesus Christ. And he echoes that same message here. He says, listen, I'm not going to boast about what is in my flesh. The only thing I'll boast about my flesh is that I bear the marks of following Jesus. I'll boast in the snake bite that I can show you as I'm pursuing him, not as a way to lift me up, but as a way to glorify that God is working in my life. I'll boast in the, the beatings that I've taken, the scars that I can show you on my back and on my face from where I've professed Christ and just stood firm in my declaration of Jesus Christ as Lord and King. This is what Paul says his boast is about. Not in his own spirituality as in circumcision, not in all the things that he's accomplished, but he says, listen, I'll boast in the fact that I've been carrying my weight in the kingdom. I'll boast in the fact that God so loved me that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, and that he finds me acceptable in his presence because of Christ. That's strong faith. The ability to not have to receive affirmation from others, but just simply do good because it glorifies Christ, even if the return is physical harm or emotional harm or, or you face hardship because of it. Paul says, I've experienced all types of harm, all types of abuse, all types of, of difficulties in this life because I love Christ and I boast in him alone and that he has received me, he loves me, and he's forgiven me. That's the boast. And so this is the characteristics of a strong faith. So by identifying with these three things, testing your own actions, carrying your own weight, do good, works for all, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ, and then that your boast is that God showed you mercy in Christ. By taking these steps, how does it prepare you? What, what does it prepare you for in the coming three months, next year, five years? How, do, how does this really get you ready? Well, one, it helps you to see yourself more accurately, more clearly. We all need that. When I worked in leadership development in a, in a uh, large company, one of the things that we focused on was blind spots. We, we, those blind spots are things that you're just not even aware that you need work on. And so these things that I'm telling you about, spending time in the Word, not comparing yourself to others, it helps you and I address these blind spots. 
because the Holy Spirit is so faithful to point something out and say, you know, I don't want you to look at somebody else in comparison. I want you to look at what's happening inside of you. And I want you to see this area where I want to work in your life. So it helps you to see yourself more accurately. It helps you care for others more graciously and lovingly. You know, Paul's calling out this division in the church. He says, listen, because you're throwing accusations at each other instead of loving each other, which is what you're supposed to be doing, which is what Christ called us to do. And, and so having an accurate picture of yourself and not measuring yourself to others helps you not be so critical. You ever notice that? When you start comparing, what you start looking for is all the fault finding in others so that you feel okay about yourself, that I feel I'm doing all right. But in order for me to feel okay, I have to find problems with other people and I have to be overly critical of their life and their actions, the way they're doing it. And so taking this approach allows us to see ourselves more clearly, but also causes us to be more gracious and loving towards others. And then thirdly, it helps you to sow to the spirit and not the flesh. Uh, you sow to what pleases Christ and not yourself. So again, it, makes, it moves us from this place of my motivations, my drivers are not affirmation for me. I get that from Christ. It's not to put on display for others. It is to sow, to glorify Jesus Christ and to hear his voice. Well done, well done, son. Well done, daughter of mine. For you are following me. You're doing what I'm asking you to do. You're loving others and you're growing up in me, carrying your own weight and that affirmation that we receive from him. We sow to please Jesus Christ. We sow to the spirit and not to our own flesh. Well, ultimately, ultimately the outcome of this, how does this prepare us for this coming year? Well, it prepares us to position ourselves in our Christian faith, not to serve ourselves, but to serve Jesus. I've long held this idea that people have sometimes, again, it's church speak, uh, it's this idea, worship was good today. Maybe you've heard that before. Well, that's really subjective for us to know because worship that is good before God is a total surrender of a person before his throne and glorifying him. So worship that was good in Paul's case when he's in prison was the fact that he was worshiping God in a prison. Oftentimes our subjectivity is, did the notes sound right? Did I enjoy the songs? Was the tempo one that I could work with? Were the slides transitioned at the right way? I make light of it a little bit because it, it is such a battle in our modern culture that as we shop churches, as we shop services, we measure things in ways that aren't actually all that helpful. So worship is good for you and I if we're totally surrendered to Christ. Regardless of what's happening on a platform, our worship can be fantastic because we are surrendered wholly to Jesus Christ. Now. We certainly enjoy good music. We certainly enjoy lyrics and everything working well, but that doesn't qualify it as good worship. Uh, so what this does with positions us, strong faith, strong mature faith in Christ, means we've positioned ourselves for God to speak to us. And my faith is not serving me, but rather I'm serving Christ. And my faith serves Christ and it exalts him. And by way of serving Christ means I'm also serving those around me. And as I'm emptied of myself, I'm actually filled up with more and more of him because he renews me in his spirit. I think that's a good 
place to pause and then we'll come back together and receive communion and pray and ask the Lord to accomplish these things in us. We hold the bread and the cup and this is part of our preparation. This is sowing to the spirit and not to the flesh. When we say that we remember Jesus and what he's done for us, that's what communion is, is we're remembering that he didn't sow his life to please himself. He sowed his life to please the Father. He denied himself, took up his cross, died upon that cross to please the Father and to bring us reconciliation. So we hold the bread and remember his body. We hold the cup and remember his shed blood just as he declared it and shared this meal with the disciples around the table, what we refer to as the Last Supper. And this is challenging. This is, it goes against the grain of what we're used to. The world around us is self-promoting. To get ahead, you have to get your name out there. You have to put on display what you're doing. You, you have to let people know that you're something because if, if you don't, then you're going to be in line behind others. And the goal in the culture generally is to get to the head of the line, the first. See, Scripture, the way of Jesus is so countercultural in that way. He says, if you want to be first, actually get back in line. Let others cut in front. Show grace, show humility. Go ahead and be the last one. And watch how God elevates you in the midst of you taking a seat of humility. You want to serve others and then serve not those who are high profile and you're going to get it on TV and it's going to shine in front of others. Serve the least over in the corner of the community where nobody's watching and nobody will even know that you did it. Serve that one. It's not going to make newsreels. It's not going to show up somewhere, but it's, it's serving the least of these. This is like Jesus. So let's hold the bread and see it for what it is, the, the life of Jesus surrendered. Lord, we thank you for your body given up wholly for us. That you did not treasure your life as your own, but you viewed it as belonging to the Father and accomplishing his purposes. Oh, you had such a strong faith, Lord. There are so many people pushing and pulling you and trying to get you to do things, say things, behave in certain ways. And you were so solid in your faith, so, so just battle-tested and, and just so convinced of what you were doing and why you were doing it and who you, who you were and whose you were. So as we hold this bread... We reflect on that, Lord. And we just say, God, help, help us to see ourselves clearly, not in comparison. Help us to do the works that you call us to do, not for our own glory or for recognition. And Lord, help us to offer our faith to glorify you and not to serve us. Help us to have a right perspective, to weigh ourselves correctly and to carry our own weight 
and to serve you and not ourselves through our faith in you. So to do that, we, like you, take up our cross and follow you each day. We thank you for your body. We remember you. And we want to identify with you, as Paul did, that we had bear in our bodies the marks of discipleship of you. And that would be our boast. We thank you for this bread. It is in this that we boast. Receive the bread. The cup, Lord, we hold is your blood. And that, again, is what we boast in. Not in our works, not in the works of our flesh, but in the work that you accomplished, a sin, sinless life. That your body was, and your flesh did not serve your own purposes, but you lived for the Father, and you poured out your blood for us, that it covers our own sin. So, Lord, this is our affirmation that we're acceptable to you, that we're embraced by you because of your work. And that's what we want to boast in. Your accomplished work that empowers us to do what you ask us to do. We thank you for the shed blood. And in that, we boast that you love us enough to give yourself to us and that you resurrected and now empower us through your spirit to live for you. Your shed blood is enough and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's my hope for you that as you go forward and you prepare yourself for this coming year, maybe dreams of a trip or a goal of better health, a plan that you have for an area of your life you want to see growth or change, I pray that you also make sure that you do the important preparation of looking at yourself, preparing your heart to sow to the Spirit so that you can reap a harvest of righteousness, a harvest of good works in Jesus' name. And you can accomplish His purposes for you in the coming months and even in the coming years for the good works He has set before you. God bless you as you do it. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.